Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to, to the to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether, then, it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Welcome to everyone that's here, and uh, any visitors that we have here, uh, we're glad to have you with us, and those who are at home watching, we, we are glad that you're tuning in. And so, just to start off, I'm, I'm glad that nobody pulled any April Fool's jokes on me this morning, that was nice, so I got, I got up here safely, and uh, hopefully nobody's planning anything today, so... What we want to talk about today is the resurrection of Christ, and so to a lot of people all over the world, today is known as Easter. And the word Easter is only found once in the Bible, and it's only found in the King James Version. That's the only translation that has the word Easter in it. And it has Acts chapter 12, verse 4, it says, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Problem with that is, in the original translations, it should be the word Passover. So why they put the word Easter is beyond me. Easter and Passover is two different things. And so the King James Version translators use the word Easter to refer to that Jewish celebration of Passover. Well, we can only assume that that holiday of tradition, that Easter, was being celebrated at that time, and they put that word in there. But it shouldn't be. It, shouldn't, it should not be in there. If we were to study its origins, we would find out that Easter is connected to paganism. And so that's something that we should be aware of. Most people in the world don't know that. And so those who do know would suggest that they do not observe this day for pagan reasons, but rather as a remembrance of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, religious groups all over the world gather once a year to remember Easter, to remember the death, burial, and resurrection. But we as Christians, we do that on the first day of the week, every week, when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We remember the Lord's death. It's important for us to do that. We call it the Lord's Day, and right, rightfully so. It is his day. 
That being said, this lesson is not about addressing the issue of Easter. I'm not going to deal with that. It's about what is celebrated on Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection. That's what we want to look at this morning. What purpose did Christ's resurrection serve? What does the resurrection mean for the human race? And how important is it that we understand Christ's resurrection? We know why he died. He died for our sins. But why did he have to be raised again? Why was that necessary for us? And what does that mean for us? And that's what we want to look at. In order to understand better, we need to get some context. We need to understand what led Christ to dying on the cross and rising again to life in the first place. So we understand from the book of beginnings, right back all the way to Genesis, which book of beginnings means Genesis. God created the world and everything in six days. So he created all things. When he created Adam and Eve, he said it's very good. When he created all other things, he said it was good. But when he created humans, he said very good. And so Adam and Eve, Adam walked in the garden with God. He had a relationship with God. He was close with God. Adam knew that God had created him and that he did everything that God commanded. So he obeyed God. There was no question. He knew who his creator was. He had that relationship with him and he walked with him and he obeyed him. And because of Adam's obedient faith, he was able to enjoy being in the very presence of God. So can you imagine? But when we come to Genesis chapter 3, we read about sin. Sin comes along. Sin enters the world, and the fall of man happens. So take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And so, what exactly is sin? When we try to figure that out, what is it? It's disobedience to God. It is a failure to accept or keep his rule and commandments, a failure to live up to his righteous standards. And that's what happened. They stumbled. They just didn't listen to God and they gave in. He's God who created the universe and he has the right to set a standard for us to live by. And he did. He set a standard for them. We now as Christians in this age, God has set a standard for us. When we go through the New Testament, we can see what that standard is. So that perfect and wonderful relationship with God had now completely changed. Sin had come into the world. Adam and Eve disobeyed. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil after God specifically told them not to. And because of that, God could no longer allow them to be in his presence. Sin separates us from God. They were separated from God because they didn't listen to him. They disobeyed and they were cast out. So God couldn't allow them to live in the Garden of Eden anymore, and he cast them out. 
and sin filled the earth after that. A desire to experience and do what was sinful was being taught from generation to generation to generation. Sin is learned. Sin is not something we're born with. You learn sin. You learn what sin is. People learn to be selfish. People have learned to forget about God. And that's what happens. People learn to sin. So things got so bad that the Lord was sad and hurt that he had even created human beings. You remember the story of the flood. God was so upset that he said, I'm just going to wipe out everybody and start fresh. But we know that Adam... Or we know that Noah and his family ate all together. They survived because God found them righteous in this world. And so here's God. He is completely fed up with sin and how bad it got out of hand. He's ready to wipe out all of humanity. Eight live. They start over. And, and here's one point that people often overlook. You imagine being one of those eight people having the whole world to yourself. The whole world. Perfect security, all the food you can eat, everything. Think about it. What a good life it must have been for Noah and his family. And so, God had determined that he would set a day when he would judge the world in regards to sin. God decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to deal with sin, but I'm going to deal with it in a certain way. I'm going to choose a day when I'm going to deal with, with people. I'm going to deal with the sin. And so, judgment day we call it, when he returns. And so, he loved his creation so much that he created this eternal plan. He created this plan to save those who would come to him. And submission and humility is needed. A person has to truly want to come to God and be ready to bow down at his feet. And that's the plan that God put in place. The problem of sin was not something that man himself could change. It's not something we can do anything about. If we've sinned, that's it. We're, it's like a stain on us. We can't remove it. No amount of good deeds could ever help us to get to the level of holiness needed to stand in the presence of God. And that's what it's about. That's what sin does. It takes away that holiness. It takes away what we need in order to be able to stand in the presence of God. We can't make ourselves right with God. It doesn't happen. Sin had placed a permanent blemish on us, a stain that cannot be removed by us. Take a look, take a look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. And listen to what it says. It's talking about the righteousness that comes from God says, but now righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so that's how we come to, to God. That's how we deal with the sin problem. Christ takes care of that, not us. There's nothing we can do about that. A commentator by the name of Bert Thompson addressed this in his book that he wrote called Rock Solid Faith, and I thought this, this was noteworthy to, to quote. And this is what he says. He says, Thus the problem became, how could a loving, merciful God pardon rebellious humanity? Paul addressed this very matter in Romans 3. How could God be just and yet a justifier of sinful man? The answer, he would find someone to stand in for us, someone to receive his retribution and to bear our punishment. That someone would be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He would become a substitutionary sacrifice and personally would pay the price for human salvation. 
Jesus pays the price for us to make us holy again, to stand in the presence of God. The sacrifice by Christ would make us holy, being cleansed by godly blood. We've got to remember who it is that died for us and who we're being cleansed by. Godly blood, being cleansed of unrighteousness by one who is greater than us, one who is righteous. This was part of God's divine plan for bringing man into his presence once again. This is what God planned to be able to bring us close to him again. It was a demonstration of the power and the love of God. We are undeserving of God's love because of our sin, yet he still gives us a chance to be with him, and he still doesn't keep his love from us. He gives that to us. Jesus died for the sins of the world to provide us with an opportunity to be reunited with our maker. All that having been said, why was the resurrection important? He dies for our sins. He dies to make us holy. He dies to make us righteous. We can stand in the presence of God. But why did he have to die and be raised again? Why was the resurrection so important? Wasn't it enough that he died for the world? What does the resurrection mean for us? And I want us to look at seven points, what the resurrection means for us. And the first one is, the resurrection shows us that Jesus is God the Son, the Son of God. Take a look at John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. And this is Jesus speaking here. He says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Only God, only deity has the power to be able to lay down his life and take it back up again. None of us can do that. We're humans. We can't, we can't die and raise ourselves back up, but Jesus could. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It's referring to Jesus. Jesus was fully deity. And then finally, Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Paul said, Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus was God in the flesh. We know who it is that we follow. We know who it is that we serve and who saved us. Point number two, the resurrection shows us a triumph over sin. The resurrection shows us a triumph over sin. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 to 28. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 to 28. The second part of 26. Referring to Jesus, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You know, I always, I always think of these verses and, and I think of people who, who think of, who they think they can, we live multiple lives, we die and and we come back again, and we live another life and another life, and it's like, but this tells us, no, we die once, and then we face judgment. But Jesus triumphs over sin. Jesus takes care of the sin for us. Point number three, the resurrection of Christ was needed to defeat the work of Satan. Again, in Hebrews chapter 2, listen to what it says in verses 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, referring to Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 
Jesus takes away that fear of death. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that we don't have to be afraid of dying because we're going to be resurrected one day. That's the promise that's been made to us. Jesus is going to return for his people. Keep in mind that John 3.16 says that Jesus died for the world, but that doesn't mean that the whole world is saved. Only those who obey the gospel, only those who come to God, come to God through Jesus, are the ones that are saved. Point number four, the resurrection tells us that Jesus spoke the truth about everything he said in his word. And you might say, well, how is that? Well, the fact that he said he was going to come back, that he was going to be buried and raised and come back, and he said it three times to his disciples. The fact that he said it and that he did it means that everything else he said in his word is also true. God doesn't lie. We know that. Scriptures tell us that. How can someone prove himself more by promising and saying he's going to do something and then turn around and doing it? And, and something that would be very unbelievable, coming back from the dead. By stating that he was going to come back from the dead and then actually doing it shows that all of God's word is true. All of it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, the part of the reading that we heard this morning, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, notice what it says, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. It mentions it twice. According to the scriptures, according to what has been said. It's been fulfilled. God fulfills all things that he says. If the resurrection happened according to the scriptures, then this should give us confidence that God's word is true. Point number five, if there was no resurrection, there would be no church. There would be none of us sitting here today, this morning, worshiping together, being brothers and sisters. It wouldn't happen. The church is the body of believers in Christ. Believing what? Well, believing in his death, burial, resurrection. Believing that he's the son of God. If that didn't happen, if he didn't come back to life, there is no church. That's the foundation of Christianity is the death, burial, and resurrection. Without that, there is no Christianity. And so, he's the son of God, he's the head of the church. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Notice what it says. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 23. In describing Jesus, notice what it says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or, or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Notice what he says in the next verse. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope, held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so, the resurrection is important. It's clear. If Jesus was not resurrected, then our worship would be in vain. There is no church. 
it wouldn't exist. Point number six. If there was no resurrection, then not only is our faith useless, not only are we still in our sins, not only will we not receive eternal life with God, but it would also mean that there would be no meaning to our lives. No hope. No hope. We would simply live until death takes us and then face eternal punishment. There'd be nothing to live for. There is no hope. And finally, the last point, point number seven. The resurrection means we will be resurrected as well and once again be able to enjoy being in the presence of God if we have responded to the gospel and stay faithful until death. That's what we're told to do. We're told to honor God. We're told to remember his death, burial, resurrection every Lord's Day when we take the Lord's Supper. But if we haven't taken that first step and become a Christian in the first place, well, that's what we need to do. That's where we're at. The world observes the religious holiday of Easter once a year. It's a day in which people remember the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Observing Easter was not commanded by God. But we are told in God's word to observe the Lord's to observe the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day, the first day of the week, to remind us of Christ, to remind us of his death, remind us of the blood that was shed, that washed away our sins, to remind us that he didn't just die, but he did come back to life. And he came back to life for a reason. And so we remember Jesus every Lord's Day. We are reminded that he is the one that saved us if we have obeyed the gospel and if we continue to be faithful. So have you obeyed the gospel so that you will be part of that great resurrection when Christ returns? Did you do that yet? If you have not, take that step today. Obey the gospel. For those of you who have obeyed the gospel, I give you this challenge. Continue to be faithful to the Lord, our Master and Savior, as you hold on to the hope of his return. Remember, Jesus is the one that won the victory for us. Let's remember that. Let's stand as we sing our last song in the morning.